It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Man, the weeks are flying by here leading up to the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 28th, but uh, still a little ways off. We still got some time, and in between now and then, we want to tackle any agronomy questions that you've got. If you got some things going on on your farm, you got any tough decisions that you need another opinion on or, or looking for a little bit of advice, Farmer Friday is a great time to do that. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And, of course, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. I'm Darren Hefty here with my brother Brian. And, uh, Brian, can you believe it? We're getting that much closer to the field day. It's it's just coming quick, and the corn's about tasseling here. It's fun time of year. Yeah, all our corn would be tasseling right now. We planted pretty early, but... We raise some late corn for silage production, so that's the reason why most of our corn isn't tasseling yet, but it's going to be here in the next few days. The crop overall looks pretty good for as little rain as we've had, but again, Ag PhD Field Day, we just wanted to invite you to that, remind you of that. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's always the last Thursday in July. You can just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here, and if you've got a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can also give us a call because here on Farmer Friday, our phone lines are open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. Okay, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Hey, Brian, this one's kind of interesting. This comes in from Glenn over in Georgia, and he's got soil tests on the backside there, tissue tests on the front side. Glenn, first of all, Glenn, way to go. Uh, that's awesome to get that uh, kind of data set put together so you can take a look at what's in the soil, what's getting into your plants. Now, you said that's awesome, and it is. We want to have data. That's great. But I see a map here. And it looks like a center pivot. I don't know how many acres are represented by the, looks like, seven soil tests that I've got. I'm sure and it's your average seven-acre pivot, right? One, one tissue test. All right. So all I'm, right. I'm not, I, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining or anything else, but I am saying we can only give you advice based on the data that we get. And the more data you have, the more that we have the ability to pick out spots where we've got a problem maybe and and areas where you need to invest your dollars yep, yep. versus areas where you don't. And, and you don't have the full story. It could be, hey, here's some spots where we do take tissue tests and I'm just going right. to send you one that I got a question right. on. Uh, anyway, you said, and this is very important because Glenn says, this is for a sweet corn field. And he said, I've got an average of 242 units of K that I applied and 39 units of magnesium. I'm thinking I may need to cut back on the K and the magnesium applications going forward. What are your thoughts about where I'm at with these levels in this type of soil, et cetera? Okay, so the cation exchange capacity is 3 to 5. So it is very light soil. It's obviously irrigated. I mean, I'm assuming that that pivot runs. So with that said, on very light soil and ample rain, that means that when you start talking about potassium especially, normally for us in the north, in our heavy soils where the ground's frozen six months out of the year, potassium's not leachable for us. But for you, it is. So to cut back on the potassium... I, there's no way that I would because you only have in your soil test 60 to 100 pounds of potassium, and that's flat out not enough. 
What I would consider, though, is instead of one application of K, I might at some point try, I'm not saying do it, but I'm saying try two applications. Split that amount up and see what you see for results. And that's where you could go, okay, I'm doing the first shot on everything, and then the second shot, I'm going to leave some check strips where I don't put it on, and then see if you see result, and then you're going to be able to answer your own question in terms of, could I cut back on my potassium or magnesium? But I don't, I don't really see it. I would also say with magnesium, usually we want to have that percentage when in that light of soil, close to 20% magnesium, well, you're as low as 7% magnesium in one spot and 10 in a few others. Granted, you're as high as 18 in one area, so that's good. But this is kind of where I come back to having a lot of data because in that 18% magnesium area, that's where I would at least consider cutting back a little bit on my magnesium application. But boy, where I'm at 7% mag, no way am I cutting back there. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, get this one in. And hey, Do we know why he thought he wanted to cut back on K and magnesium? Nope. Hmm, interesting. Okay. All right, this one comes from Charlie, and he said, I'm in southwest Virginia, and I've got uh, a field that we just picked up, small field. It's been a hay field, meadow for an old dairy farm. My goal is to build soil fertility and hopefully have at least 10 acres of this turn out to be really good hay, hopefully some alfalfa and some orchard grass. So currently the hay is a mixture of orchard grass, fescue, and Johnson grass. I got a few horses and I want to remove everything but the orchard grass, and it looks like plateau would be the product to use. Um, wonder if you have any product or any experience with plateau and yes. if, if you think that would be okay. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be okay. Don't expect that any product is a miracle product. And boy, I have all this fescue and Johnson grass out there and it's going to eliminate 100% and I'm never going to have to do another treatment ever again. Plateau has been used for years. It's been out for, I don't know, 20, 25 years that I can remember. And there are a lot of people that use it. Is it okay? Sure it is. It's it's just, I, I'm just trying to set the expectations properly that it's not perfect. Yeah. He said, uh, now a couple of questions here. He said, I'm going to get soil samples. Uh, I've taken soil samples, haven't got the results yet. I know I have to fix some pH issues and so forth and mm -hmm. fix some of the fertility levels. Uh, on one of your shows, Brian mentions applying, if we're, if we're putting alfalfa out there, Brian mentions putting all the P and K out there ahead of time. Uh, because it's a high nutrient draw. It's yep. hard clay, rolling topography, <laughs> uh, and I was hoping to no-till. So I'm just mm. wondering what are some thoughts around building fertility in a soil, especially P and K that are immobile in the soil, on land that's pretty hard, and I want to no-till some alfalfa. And we'll talk about that and finishing, finish answering Charlie's questions and get to your phone calls coming up right after this. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. 
If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators, focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Labeled for field corn and seed corn, Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. That proven chemistry makes it an excellent fit in integrated pest management and insect resistance management programs. And with less effect on beneficials than many traditional chemistries, Steward EC Insecticide reduces your risk of creating other pest issues like flaring spider mites. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have an agronomic question or want to talk about what's going on in your farm, or you can email us radio at agphd.com, which is exactly what Charlie over in southwest Virginia did. Picked up a little piece of ground. It's got some orchard grass, fescue, and Johnson grass on it. He wants to use Plateau to knock out the fescue and the Johnson grass. A couple of questions here that he has. First of all, is there volatility with Plateau at all? Okay. Physical drift and volatility are different things. Volatility is when it lands on the target and then it picks up and moves. No, we don't really see that out of Plateau. Okay. Uh, but you do have to worry about physical drifts. So obviously, Absolutely. you don't want to spray when the wind is blowing towards your neighbors, those kinds of things. But his other question is, all right, so let's just say that I do this and I get it down to where it's just orchard grass. Eventually, what I want to do is put in alfalfa and I want to no-till it in. And I happen to watch an Ag PhD video, Charlie says, about where Brian is saying, put all your phosphorus out uh, and your potassium before seeding and get it out there ahead of that alfalfa crop that you're going to be into for the next three or four years because you're not going to be doing any tillage once that crop's in. But he said, I don't want to do any tillage in the first place. Uh, how can I get that P and K down? And would it still be a good idea to do it if I don't do tillage? Well, you don't have to do tillage, but if you're not going to do tillage, phosphorus simply is not going to move down in that ground. So if it's me and I... I, I'm I'm going to somehow figure out a way to place that fertilizer down, whether it's coulters, a shank, do something to get that fertilizer down into the ground. So there are certain nutrients like nitrogen, sulfate, boron, they're going to move easily with water down into that soil. Even potassium, if let's say you had a sandy soil and lots and lots of rain, the potassium will move down. So I'm not super worried about those, but phosphorus, zinc, copper, those nutrients, if you need any of those, and let's face it, for alfalfa, it takes a lot of phosphorus, takes a tremendous amount of potassium. I'd put them down in the ground if it's a non-mobile soil nutrient. So that's what I would do. I'm either doing tillage or I'm going to inject it somehow to get the best return for the dollars that I invest. One other thing that I, I just wanted to throw out. So during the break, Darren 
said to me, he goes, wait a second, how did you hear that question? Is he going to put the alfalfa in right away? Or is he going to leave the orchard grass in for a few years? That's what we don't know here, Charlie. So if, let's say you were going to plant that alfalfa at any point during the next year, then I don't know that we would we would encourage you to spend the money or yeah, we would don't. almost feel it'd be a waste to try to kill the fescue and Johnson grass out, especially considering the plateau could have long-lasting residual that could hurt the alfalfa if you seed it within the next year. Yep, I agree. You got to wait. You got to wait at least a year to seed alfalfa after using the plateau. So if it's me and I wanted to put alfalfa in this fall, I would just leave it as is, and then come in in the Spray fall. Spray it and all. Do and yes. Yep. And then kill it with something that'll kill the orchard grass, the whole works, and then put the alfalfa in. All right. Let's head to the phone lines here. Get our friend Tony Wendler on with Farm Shop MFG, also farms down in in Iowa. Tony, how you doing? I am doing excellent. And yourself today. Good, good. You guys seeing some tassels down around the farm now in your corn? The uh, I'm starting to see some uh, tassels on some of the neighbor's corn. None on mine, and I'm sitting here with mixed emotions thinking, can we hold off tasseling for another week and will his heat go by us? That would be wonderful, the, wouldn't uh, it? The, that's, yeah, I'm uh, thinking I really don't want to tassel in the 90s. But, uh, yeah, they're starting to come out uh, just you know, fields here and there. Brad and I were talking about grain bin prep, and obviously there have been some good market prices out there. There are a lot of empty bins out there that guys could be getting ready for fall. How early is too early to be doing that, and, and what are some other things we should be thinking about? Uh, the uh, Can I make a quick statement and then sure. Uh, answer that? Sure. Um, hey, I want to I just echo a comment from a farmer that I had this morning that uh, we are two weeks from one of the best field days in the country. And as he said, that it's, it's very big, but it's small enough that you can go there and, and not be overwhelmed like a lot of these other field days. And the quality of the information that you can go from uh, all the different plot tours and components like that, and they could perhaps come and visit me, uh, is exceptional opportunities. Anyway, uh, he just told me that in a phone call today and, uh, he looks forward, he's making over a 300 mile drive each year to go to it. And, uh, wow. says it's, uh, he looks at it as very worthwhile oh, well, to awesome, uh, make Tony. that trip each year. Thanks for saying that. So, anyway, okay. That. Yeah, no, it's, hey, it really is. There's so much to see and you can actually see it in a day and not feel like, man, I got to keep moving because there's, there's so much more. Uh, it's it's sized correctly with a high value. So, okay, um, when to get to work on grain bins? Uh, it's probably now. I was just telling my wife last night that uh, I've got some stuff to get done on my fans. So, you know, going out there and starting to look at what's going on and not wait for the line, not wait for the supply chain to turn out that uh, you've got a bad fan motor and you can't get it for uh, three months or something like that. Uh, go out there and start thinking what you need to do. And if you're doing other modifications, you know, we're uh, kind of ramping up talking to farmers right now on uh, fan controls and doing some modifications, monitors, uh, putting different uh, adding bin monitors or doing different components with bin monitors. And uh, then the uh, the fan controls that go with it to uh, maximize the, uh, the the moisture in your grain, whether it's 
adding to or taking moisture out of a, a grain like uh, beans or uh, wheat, or it's uh, controlling not over drying the bottom of a large bin with corn. So uh, you ought to be starting to think about it now. That's what I think uh, for most people out there in the, if you got that bin, don't let it sit. Right, it's it'd be nice to be out in the pontoon on an afternoon like today, but uh, probably other things need to be getting done too. All right, for our listeners in the South, Tony, they are starting into harvest and it's hot and uh, a lot of humidity. What are some of the things as you start putting that grain in? If we happen to have that kind of weather, or if we're harvesting right now in heat and humidity, well, gosh, there's going to be guys in the north taking wheat out as well in heat and humidity. Uh, what are the smart things to be doing there to make sure that grain stays in great condition? Um, in, uh, depending on, I'm expecting nobody's got the, uh, you can still get some opportunities for 90% humidity down South. I know they're going to get exposed to a lot more of that than we are, especially Louisiana's had a lot of rain. So they've probably got some real excessive humidities. You need to be thinking about a couple things. If you're looking at the wheat, which will take on moisture, you can't blow too wet of air in there to, uh, raise your moisture in your grain too far and, and deal with your sweats and things like that. So you got to watch a little bit there by the same token temperature. You're pulling this in out of the field and it's, uh, they're dealing with temperatures that are 90 and a hundred. You need to get some opportunities to cool it down. Uh, it, uh, I thought about that South scenario without experiencing it and not looking at a weather, uh, station every day to what it is. But my first thought is you got to look for some cooler air, evening, night, uh, morning, but then don't watch your humidity so you don't get too excessive there. Up here in the northern uh, plains, you know, we've got similar. We're dealing with temperatures here in the 90s. Uh, we probably got a lot more opportunity for dry air, which is going to put us in the, at a risk of drying our grain down further. So if we were uh, harvesting, harvesting a little bit drier than we might want, uh, we're going to strip some moisture out and we're going to have to look for an opportunity to put it back in. Uh, the Again, uh, temperature, having grain go into a bin that uh, you're harvesting it in the, uh, in the 90s and then your mechanical components go through, warm it up a little bit more, that uh, makes for pretty warm grain going into a bin and you got to cool it down. So looking at those two components, uh, cool it down a little bit and uh, watch your moisture so that uh, you don't, pump a bunch of uh, 90, 95% uh, moisture air in there right. and uh, create some issues there. We were just talking with Carl down in Texas yesterday on the show, and he was talking about the temperatures and even the nighttime temperatures being so warm. That is one thing that's nice up in the north here. We typically get a little cooler at night, so we get that opportunity. They may not get further south. Uh, we're talking with Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, thank you so much for being on. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye. You too. It's Farmer Friday here on Ag PhD Radio, and uh, we got some more callers on deck with some great questions coming up. It's still time to get your call in at 844-44-AG-PHD. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay. Veltima fungicide. Mm. 
No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. we got Tom with us right now over in Wisconsin. Tom, how are you doing? Thanks for hanging on. Not too bad. So I understand you want to talk winter wheat. Uh, is your winter wheat getting too big and tall, or what What do you got for a question for yeah, us? Too big and tall, but it's after the fact. I know... <clears throat> I think in spring you talked about the guy could spray some kind of acid on it to, so it wouldn't get so tall. 
Uh, Palisade is the name of the product that's a growth regulator that will keep it shorter. We also have talked about gibberellic acid that you can use to make it taller, but it doesn't sound like that's what you're after here. So Palisade oh. is the product you would want to keep it short. And usually we're talking in that range of Fix 4 to Fix 8 for the stage. So er earlier the better typically is what I'll usually tell guys. We have used this product in the past. I worry about it a little bit. You just want to have the timing right and stuff. But, I mean, it definitely will shorten that crop up. And the other thing, when we start talking about basically lodging, I, I would just say two things. One, potassium levels. Make sure your potassium levels are really good in your soil so then your stalks are thicker. And two, you can always consider cutting back your seeding rate too. So if you go ahead next year, you use some Palisade and you go, man, this still didn't do it. I'm still having lodging problems. Then uh, uh, those are the only other two things that you've really got left. More potassium and cut the seeding rate. All right. And one other quick question. Sure. I think we'll be taking the weed off in about probably a week, week and a half. Okay. And last year we did about 15 acres. We uh, no-till soybeans back in, and we ended up getting, uh, well, we made a little money on it. Put it yeah. <laughs> awesome. Way to go, Tom. But was your harvest earlier yeah. last year? We were a lot warmer last year, so our small grain finished earlier than it's going to this year. So what kind of date are we talking about for last year for you? Uh, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, that was, that's really my only concern is if the soybeans are going to have time to finish because when we've tried that in the past, we just we weren't able to get the beans to actually finish. So just make sure you get an early enough variety and get that seed in the ground right away. Pray for a little rain quickly, and hopefully it'll all turn out good. Right. We, uh, last year, I think we came out with about 23 bushel to an acre. Sure. Which was which wasn't. I mean, it's it's no record setting, but still, with today's prices, right? And, and I've seen on the long term weather, they're saying it's going to stay warmer later. <laughs> so I don't know. We're we're going to take a gamble at it. We've been yep. getting we've been getting a shower of rain every seems every week or so, maybe four or five tenths. Yeah. Good. I mean, the big rain messes us by about 20 miles also. Yeah. Or about, but, you know, we'll still take the... <laughs> yeah, I'd be more than happy to get that. We haven't, uh, we just, we haven't gotten any of those this summer. So, hey, Tom, uh, thanks a lot for the call. Really appreciate it. Best of luck to you out there. All right. All right. Let's go next to our friend Mark calling in about nitrogen timing. Hey, Mark, how are you today? Good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. Aaron, doing well. Good. Just want you to know my subjects are usually. I'm usually off subject because <laughs> I never know what you guys are talking about. Well, today because... it's Farmer Friday, so yeah, our topic right is on, your topic. You're right on today, Mark. Oh, well, that was lucky. But I just want you to know that because of 
you and Brian, I spend every last penny I have on land lime and tiles, so <laughs> I can't afford the serious XM, so <laughs> Well, hey, it's gonna pay off sometime, Mark. Okay, so I hear you, you, you I hear you have this question on nitrogen timing where you applied at planting yep. and then when the corn was one to three inches and then at V seven, but you didn't have any rain at V seven, should you alter your program next year? And I just say Correct. this is always the challenge for those of us who farm without ear irrigation. We just simply don't know when that rain's going to come. So we have to give ourselves a little bit of leeway and make sure that we have enough nitrogen to carry us through whatever time period we're in. So what we did in the almost exact same boat you're in, we injected our nitrogen down into the ground because we put our nitrogen on and we had no rain for two weeks after. Well, if we had laid it on the soil surface, we would have lost a bunch of it, but we were fortunate and we have the equipment to do it. So we injected it. And then two weeks later when we got the rain, well, I, I feel pretty confident the nitrogen eventually did get into the plant because our corn looks nice and green now. Okay. Now, will the road, now if I ever do get the equipment to do that, the only thing I tend to wonder about is, so we put this nitrogen in the band below the soil. Yep. If we don't have rain, yep. it's going to be really, really concentrated. Yep, that's right. So if the roots do go to it, they might get burnt. That's a possibility. And yep. if it doesn't rain, then <laughs> you got a lot it more problems. Right, you got a lot more right. problems yet. So no, I understand that. There's no perfect answer to this thing. So let let's okay. let's talk about where you're at right now. When you don't have the culture type equipment, our recommendation for you is one of two things. Either one, you just wait until there's a really good, it looks like there's a really good chance of rain. And a lot of times you'll know within a couple of days. The forecasters are usually at least fairly close when it's within a couple of days. A week out, it's a 50-50 shot. But a couple of days in advance, that's probably when I do it. Otherwise, you can just put a stabilizer with it and then you have to hope for the best. So if, for example, we had laid our nitrogen on the soil surface with a stabilizer, most of it still would have been there two weeks later. Not all of it, but at least most. And in lieu of buying the equipment to inject it down into the ground, that's your next best bet. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I did. So, yep. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah, getting that timing just right is is sometimes a little tricky. No well, like that. I said, I mean, we, we aren't in control of the rainfall. And so for those of us who are non-irrigated, this is always what we're looking at. Last year, for example, when we hadn't had rain in seven or eight months when we planted or prior to when we planted, I just said, you know, guys, let's put all our nitrogen on up front. So we only had four fields. We were even thinking we might side dress last year out of like 20. And we did pre-side dress nitrate tests and we found, oh, we have enough nitrogen there, especially considering that our yield level is probably down a little bit. Our yield goes down since we haven't had rain. So yeah, it, 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 it can always be a challenge. All right. Uh, unfortunately, I get 
this printed on the back side where the question is. So I'll read this, and then you have to. You, know, you only get a minute to look at it. This is from West Texas. I won't even get that. Is, but go ahead. This is Wesley. Uh, he said, "I farm alfalfa down here. I rotate out and plow the fields every four or five years because I get so many gophers, and then big animals come in digging them up, and it's been rough trying to build organic matter. Uh, I've switched mostly to liquid fertilizer." Uh, any other suggestions you'd have after looking at my, my results here of what's going on? Okay, so this is a tissue test, and this is this soil test? Um, I, I mean, I, it has to be because I see base saturation and stuff on here. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's a little confusing for us sometimes when it's a lab that we aren't familiar with, aren't familiar with the format and what it's going to look like. But uh, so let's see. So it was alfalfa, and he's wondering what to do. Um Okay, so, all right. First thing I see, 8 pH. That when, when we talk alfalfa, you want a 7 pH, all right? If it's above that, it's not the end of the world typically, but when we get all the way up to 8, then that usually indicates to me we've got some problem out there. Something is a little bit out of balance. What is that exactly? Well, in this case, it looks to me like our potassium levels are just really low. I mean, you're down to only 68 parts per million, and quite quite frankly, I'd like it to be 680 parts per million, especially if you're going to have an alfalfa stand out there for four or five years. So that's, that's one of the biggest things. And then also, many of your micronutrients are really low, almost every one of them very, very low. So I... I guess I'll tell you what, let's talk about this just a little bit more after this break because it is kind of interesting and we don't talk alfalfa enough here on the show. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spend spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now, you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more. And don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. 
You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, broadcasting today from the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were talking about Wesley's question on alfalfa. He sent some soil tests in, and I said, boy, with an 8 pH, it tells me something is off. And I didn't have enough time before the break to look at everything, but I did during the break, and here are a couple other things that I noticed. So I mentioned before only 68 parts per million of potassium, there's only six parts per million of phosphate. Six. So, I, I mean, and and I'll, I'll just say, like, and I can't see everything from what he sent for these recommendations, but when you're at six, you can't throw some tiny little rate of a liquid phosphate out there and expect that that's going to give you massive gains. I mean, I'll be honest. If it's me, I'm putting hundreds of pounds of phosphorus out there, and I'm putting... Uh, Definitely hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of potash out there, if it's me, okay? It looks like the cation exchange capacity is 19, so it's not leaching away or anything like that. But that's going to actually help bring your pH down when you start getting these nutrients in balance. I mentioned micronutrients, but here are some levels of micronutrients. 0.04 parts per million of boron. 0.3 parts per million of copper. 5.4 parts per million of iron, 1.7 parts per million of manganese, and 0.7 parts per million of zinc. So all five of those micronutrients are really, really low. Now, don't feel too bad about this, Wesley, because we've had similar fields, similar situations. And I understand if you don't want to invest all the money in one shot, but over time, you're going to want to work on building these things up. And when you do, that pH level is actually going to start coming down. But um, I would say as well, the organic matter level is only 1.5%, so that's quite low. So hopefully over time, you're able to build the soil fertility levels. You'll get more plant growth out there. In turn, then you'll be able to build that soil organic matter level. It's going to take time to get this field in great shape, but you can absolutely do it. All right, so back to the phone lines. Our next guest is Chad. He farms in South Dakota. Chad, how are you doing today? Pretty good, Darren. All right, so you guys have been a little dry, been missing these rains down there. What's what's the crop looking like? Is it hanging in there? Um, I would say it was hanging in here until about Wednesday, and now I kind of feel like we're probably moving the other direction. Corn looks like it's about four to five foot tall, and some of it is pretty stressed, and it is starting to throw a tassel, I think, prematurely. 
Yeah, that that sounds a little. You no. you don't and you're. I'm just taking from your voice, Chad, and I'm trying to to make light a little bit. Uh, I, I take it you're not planting that short corn out there. You're kind of expecting to have a little taller than four <laughs> or five foot tall corn. Yeah, I am. Yeah, and I even think it was quite a bit taller in twelve. Um, I I don't know. It just everything seems pretty short, and uh, I don't think I've ever experienced this. Um, in 25 years of doing this, I I don't. It's kind of a first time for me that I've ever seen it this short, this early in the year. So, yeah, that's not a good sign, especially yeah, if it's heading backwards too, right at tasseling time. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't see. I don't see much of a forecast here for rain coming anytime soon. I know we're thinking the same for our crops. We're uh, an hour or so north of you. Yeah. The beans have really kind of come into their own. I, I really can't complain about those. They look pretty tough early on, but I see a lot of potential there yet if we had August rains. Um, just looking at the corn, I'd say right now if we could salvage six to eight ton corn silage, that'd be if we don't get another rain in two weeks, that's what we'll get. Wow. Wow, that's that's so, no fun. Well, hey. bushel, I would say. Uh, I'm yeah. glad glad you got the beans then too, because uh, like you say, a lot of times, well, beans beans wait, and if if they can just stay alive until August and we catch some rain, we can still get some yield out of those things. Right, right. No, it's it could be better. It could be a lot worse. I mean, it's uh, it's whatever he's it's whatever the good Lord's going to give us. So we'll just take it, and we got a good. Got a good crop insurance price. We've been blessed with really good uh, APHs the last ten years to get them levels up, and I think I think a lot of producers saw this coming, and a lot of guys took SCO ECO coverages, and and I think really protected their bottom line long term. So yeah. I don't think anybody's terribly. Yeah, kind of what could have been is a good business decision, no doubt about that. One one last question for you, Chad. What about alfalfa? Do you have any alfalfa right now? And what is how is that surviving through this? Um, we are actually slated to start cutting our third cutting on Monday, and that would be at twenty two days, and it's probably half. It's already half flowered. We try to stay on a twenty six seven eight day rotation. Um, we grow about 600 acres, and I have it's been a long time since I've seen it this poor. We were fortunate enough to get about a ton and three-quarter first cutting and about a ton and a half second. And uh, I would say six to 800 pounds third cutting would be about it. Yeah. So, pretty bleak. No, no, that's for sure. Well, Chad, but, we'll, we'll certainly uh... – pray for some rain for you guys too i know we need some up here but but where you're at you need it even worse than we do yeah yeah one of them deals it's all right it's all right so well like you say thank goodness for crop insurance and some of these things to to keep us viable here going into the next year and let us get started again you're, you're always so upbeat chad that it's hard it's hard even to hear you when you're you're not like this i, I feel bad for you uh it's been a long week so that's that's uh that's just kind of what it's been but uh grateful for every day what a what a great profession we get to be in i mean couldn't couldn't ask for a better profession it just you got to learn how to got to learn how to hit the curveballs so yeah that's for sure well chad good luck to you and hope hope you get some rain rain soon thanks for being on the show all right thanks darren you bet let's head over to iowa we've got josh with us right now josh how are things looking over in your neck of the woods 
Well, I tell you, I don't know if I've seen a uh, busier July around here, um, but things are looking really good. We've uh, got some late rains last night. Um, stopped just in time for us to load some pigs this morning, earlier this morning, but uh, turned out to be a hot, hot July, humid, um, but it's it's good for the corn. Yeah, yeah, I think we watch those rain clouds head your way, Josh, and drop nothing here. <laughs> we need that rain to come over here too, but glad to hear that your crops are looking good. How about the soybeans? Are they filling in the rows yet? Uh, they're they're getting there. Um, a lot of the 15-inch uh, soybeans are. We do every all of our beans are 15-inch. They're they're pretty close to canopy. Um, I was out there this morning scouting some beans, and I see a few blossoms here and there. Um, the roots have some really good nodules on them. Um, all the stuff that we planted into green cover crops looks really good. It's it's the that cereal ride did a good job of suppressing weeds and giving us enough time to get our our uh, post herbicide application down. You know the 15 intro beans we we used to do that on our farm too, and we saw pretty good yields out of that. Is is yield your reason for going to the 15s? Uh. Mostly it's canopy, but the 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 yield does help, um, especially in no-till conditions. Um, you know, you get shorter beans; they they get a chance to canopy a little faster. Um, and we do primarily seed beans for uh, golden harvest, and so you get a little bit better seed quality because you have a chance to roll it, and then, like I said, it fills in the canopy a little faster, so you don't have to worry about dirt splashing or or having any issues white mold isn't an issue where we're at so we don't quite have to worry about having that air in between the rows yeah well white mold is uh is not a fun one so i'm glad you guys don't have to deal with that there's enough challenges out there with farming no doubt about that uh well josh thanks for being on we really appreciate it i'm glad to hear crops are looking pretty good where you're at and and uh hope for the best for you here the rest of the season all right thanks you too yeah, it's, it's really variable out there, no doubt about it, with, with crop conditions. And it's one of the reasons we like doing this show and kind of hearing from farmers all over the place. It's Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you want to talk about how crops are going in your area. Or if you've got an agronomic question, we'd love to tackle that one as well. Uh, radio at agphd.com is a good way to send in a soil test or a plant tissue test or just a picture if you would like. We'll be right back after this. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Stop wasting time and money with obsolete adjuvants and foliar fertilizers. High-yielding crops require high-performing multifunctional products like the Fulltech Adjuvant Cube and Impulse from Spraytech. Contact your local retailer or visit Spraytech.com for more information. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plug nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, insulation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD here in the Morton studio. Let's head over to New York. We've got Rick on with us right now. Rick, how are you doing? Okay. So are things... I'm actually sitting in a combine uh, doing rye at the moment. Ah, there you go. I love it. I love it. I love harvest. How is it looking? Uh, this is an heirloom rye that uh, we're growing for whiskey and uh you know, heirlooms never yield that well, but I think this is probably the best crop of heirloom I've ever had. Um, makes up for the wheat crop that was the worst I've ever had. So, oh, that's too bad. Fall, we had some uh, terrible uh, wet weather all through October. It just never stopped raining. And so uh, in the first time in my 40-year career that I, that I had a... Uh, bad you know emergence on the, the crop it, it just the seed just rotted in the ground so uh if you plant it in september you had a good crop if you plant it in october it's not so much but uh this this looks good because it got planted in september sure sure yeah it's it is interesting i know even with uh spring crops like corn and soybeans a lot of times we see there's a week or there's a few days that if you did stuff on those days 
things didn't turn out very well. And even with the spraying, sometimes there's a few days that just weren't very conducive, whether they were cloudy or cool or whatnot, that uh, that things don't work very well. So, yeah, we always have to talk about spreading out a risk, but, but it gets tough with planting dates because you kind of plant when you can, too. All right. Yeah, all in all, um, we've had a good spring. Uh, it never got dry for sure. Uh, we struggled a little bit getting plantings in between the rains. Wet, it just rained every four or five days, so that it just made it a challenge uh, with the timing. But uh, things really grew well. Um, right now, we're, we're kind of just starting into a dry spell. It's not bad yet. Uh, you know, if we get to 90 degrees and the wind blows, you'll see the curl, uh, corn curling up. But I wouldn't. You know anything too worrisome yet? We got some rain in the forecast for Monday, so um, I think we're still looking at a good crop. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's good to hear, Rick. Uh, we we sure need it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, with the with the corn in our area, we've seen it be a little shorter this year. Are you seeing shorter corn out in the fields there? Yeah, I, I guess I would say that uh, it is shorter. We were quite cool all through may and early part so that probably uh decreased the height yep yep i think the same thing here well Uh, all for grain i don't think that it makes any difference uh if you're chopping it for dairy farm um yeah probably but uh for grain i i don't think it's affected the yield outcome yeah, I agree with you 100% there. I, I don't think it's going to impact the grain yield at all, but uh, I, I am kind of curious to see what that tonnage is going to be. I mean, we still have the same number of leaves out there, a number of nodes, but uh, definitely don't have the height like like we're used to seeing. Hey, Rick, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate having you on, uh, even calling in during the harvest time. So uh, I know you're busy. Stay safe, and, and we'll talk again. Okay. All right, thanks. Let's head over to Illinois. We get Robert on right now. Let's talk fungicide a little bit. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing real good. I'm calling on behalf of a friend. He probably never heard that kind of thing before. <laughs> uh, well, only when it's a weed control issue. It's like I don't have a problem, yeah. but my neighbor across the field does. Yeah. My 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 nameless friend named Jeff wanted me to ask you. He is is willing and has done two two pass fungicide spraying in the past. He's got a he's got a Hagee. And uh, he prefers doing at tassel and then coming back two or three weeks later. I've had good luck with with a on a couple of occasions with a pre-tassel pass and then coming back at tassel. It isn't like really an argument, so it's not like a Brian Darren thing. But uh, <laughs> uh, you, what are your thoughts? Our diseases are gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and, and now we've got tar spot. Okay, once you throw tar spot in, that's where we start to get a little bit more concerned because we have had some guys in Illinois that have had tar spot come in early, but I don't know how that's looking for this year in your area. So I I just say last fall, we took so many phone calls from farmers all across the Midwest saying, hey, I had tar spot, here's what I did. And the common theme was spraying twice was great, but a lot of them said, you know what, I had to get out there pre-tassel. And because I went pre-tassel and then I followed roughly three weeks later, that's where I had the best results. 
So we just unfortunately don't know exactly when these diseases are going to move in. It's so difficult, we talk about this all the time, to spray a fungicide compared to an insecticide. An insecticide's easy. You go scout, you get a threshold level, you go, okay, now I know, know I need to treat. With the, the disease thing, you're looking at maybe the university's forecasting models and you're trying to figure out, okay, are there enough spores in the air and all these things? It's, it's really hard. So I don't know what the right answer is for your area, but I just know when you start started talking about gray leaf spot, that's bad enough. You added northern corn leaf blight, also bad. Then you hit tar spot. It's like, well, that's the worst disease. Uh, you got the trifecta there. So I can see why spraying twice would pay. But yeah, I can't tell you the exact timing because I just don't know this year when it's going to move in to your area. Yeah, he, he had actually done some free pass last year on just a limited basis. But yep. another quick question on my behalf, I guess, um, question came up with my son this morning. Is boron foliar applied at tassel, is that too late? We, we have some dry applied on the ground okay. uh, about a month ago, but is, is tassel too late for the, for us, you know, being we're going to be making a pass out there? Sure. It is something that we have done. There are a lot of people have done it at tassel. There are a lot of people that claim, oh, it's good at tassel, but I don't know if you actually need it. I, I would just say it's not too late, but if you don't need the boron, then there's no point in spending the money. When you already have the dry boron on the ground, maybe you're getting enough into the plant. I just, I'm not sure. I do know this. Boron is needed the most in a corn plant around that tasseling timing. So we typically want to be on the early side rather than on the late side. But by the same token, if all of a sudden here your crop is starting to run short on boron, can you get some into the plant? Yes. Could you get yield response? Yes. As long as you're making a trip out there, you don't have that extra cost of additional application. So I get it. And if it's me and we're debating about this question, the way Darren and I always settle it is we go, well, let's just try some. We'll try some strips. We'll see if we get yield response. And then we'll know a little bit better in the future. So I, I'd probably encourage you to take some tissue tests and then try some out, just see what you get for yield response. And then at least you can kind of track that moving forward to say, all right, I see my soil tests, I see my tissue tests. If I'm at those same levels next year, then you'll know, hey, either this boron paid or it didn't pay at that tassel application. So I, if it's me, I'm going to at least probably try some, yes. Yeah, we uh, when we had the dry application, that's when our, our mini drought started. We had about a month of really dry weather so yep and we've got some tissues that we're looking at the, the boron numbers are not terrible but at sure. the same time they're not they're high but yeah so anyway i appreciate the time i know you're up against the clock here so thank you very much appreciate <laughs> you it. bet thanks for calling in robert uh, brian uh, sp sent in a question so you guys are talking about corn and about soybeans i'm curious what are the best soybean yields that you've ever had and and what are you shooting for this year um, the best that we've ever had on our farm is full fields of about 80. And I don't think we're probably going to be able to get to that this year. The weather just isn't super conducive, but like Darren mentioned this earlier in the show, soybeans can really hang on late. And so even in 2012, where we didn't have rain for three months, it was terrible. 
we still had a farm average of 56 bushel beans because we got August rains. So this year, if we start getting rain, let's call it next week, and then we're getting a whole bunch of August rains, could we still end up with, let's say, a farm average of 70? It's very possible. I mean, we've had farm averages close to 70 before, 65, 70, right in there. But And you would think, oh, then you probably had a field of 90 or 100. We actually haven't. I mean, we've had areas, plenty of areas that have gone over 100, but full fields, I mean, we have some fairly big fields, full field average, about the best we've ever done is 80. But with this year's price, <laughs> I take that. That's going to be pretty good. You bet. You <laughs> bet. Well, hey, really appreciate all the calls. It's always fun on a Farmer Friday. And I would remind you, the Ag PhD Field Day is right around the corner. It's Thursday, July 28th. You can sign up and find all the details at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.